Today is the second Sunday in our new sermon series, which will take us through the Advent season and all the way to the end of the year. The title of this series is The Advent of I Am. This sermon series is designed to examine the seven I Am statements of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of John. Excuse me, and they are as follows. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this morning, we are going to consider Jesus' claim to be the bread of life. From the close of the Old Testament writings... Up until the ministry of John the Baptist, there was a time of about 400 years in which God did not communicate to his covenant people through the prophetic office. God's people lacked a prophet like Moses or Elijah. And during this time, rabbinical teaching moved to the forefront of religious life and instruction. And with this, there arose an extra-biblical interpretation of God's word, which was codified and then enforced among God's people. So, for example, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, Jesus is recorded as interacting with some of the popular rabbinical interpretation of God's law. Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. In Exodus 21, verse 14, and Leviticus 24, 20, and Deuteronomy 19, 21, God did prescribe that restitution should be made according to the principle, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. However, this command was motivated by restoration and was to be enforced with the testimony of two or three witnesses and adjudicated by a magisterial ruling. In contrast, the rabbis moved away from the idea of restitution and began to teach vengeance based upon the principle, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And so Jesus comes along and he affirms the law of God and corrects the rabbinical teaching, which lacked the coherence of truth and justice. And similarly, in Matthew 5.43, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Again, Jesus is correcting the rabbinical teaching that twisted Leviticus chapter 19.18 to mean God only commands the love of your ethnic brotherhood. Everyone else you can hate. We also see this interaction repeated throughout the rest of the gospel accounts. When Jesus healed on the Sabbath, he was not breaking the law of God handed down at Mount Sinai, but rather he was breaking the extra-biblical laws written and enforced by the scribes and Pharisees. And then in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it is apparent that over the course of those 400 years of that 
testamental time where God was not speaking through the prophetic office and the rabbinical teaching was rising and coming to the forefront of social uh, society, the people had become heavy laden with the burden of extra biblical law. And in Matthew 5, verse 6, Jesus acknowledges that God's covenant people were hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for an alien righteousness outside of themselves that would bring forgiveness of sin and lead to acceptance with God. Ultimately, Jesus acknowledges that people were hungry for justification and adoption that didn't come from keeping the rabbinical law. So with this backdrop, Jesus enters the scene in the advent of his public ministry and states, I am the bread of life. This morning's text comes from John chapter 22, excuse me, John chapter 6, verses 22 through 59. And as I preach this morning, I want to answer two questions. Number one, I want to answer the question, What does Jesus mean when he says, I am the bread of life? And then number two, I want to answer this question. How are we to respond to Jesus' self-revelation as the bread of life? So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to John chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 22 through 59, and then I'll pray a prayer of illumination. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, 
but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Please bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would reveal to us the significance and importance of Jesus' words here in John chapter 6. I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help us to rightly understand them and then live in light of them. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's begin by answering the first question. What does Jesus mean when he says, I am the bread of life? We should start by drawing our attention to verses 35 and 48. In both places, we read the declaration, I am the bread of life. This statement is noteworthy because it employs the unique grammatical construction of ego, a me. As I explained last week, this is a Greek phrase which is translated into English as I am. And you may recall, ego, a me is unique because it is not the common way that you would say I am in the Greek language. However, when the Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek, the account of the burning bush was communicated with the unique form of ego a me 
in order to translate God's self-revelation to Moses as I am. So when Jesus uses the unique construction of I am, we need to understand that he is doing so in order to state that he is the second person of the Holy Trinity, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. And I can't overemphasize the importance of Jesus' claim to be I am, to be God. Because if he is God, then everything Jesus says is objectively true and universally authoritative. But if he's not God, then his claim to be God would discredit everything he has to say. And if you are a skeptic of Christianity, I would say it is especially important for you to develop your opinion about Jesus based upon his own claims to be God. And whatever you conclude about Jesus, whether that he is or was a great moral teacher, or he was the most influential person in the world, whatever your conclusion is, you must take into account his claim to be I am, to be God. So, the first thing we must recognize, Jesus says here in John chapter 6, that he is I am. He identifies as God. And Jesus not only communicates this with the I am statement, but also with a variety of other expressions. For example, in verse 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And in verse 40, he says, For this is the will of my Father. Likewise, in verse 51, Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And again, in verse 57, he said, As the living Father sent me. All of these references allude to Jesus' co-eternal self-existence and his heavenly dwelling. Therefore, from Jesus' very own words, we must understand that he claims to be God incarnate, God in the flesh. In verses 35 and 48, not only does Jesus state his deity by employing the use of ego eimi, but Jesus also claims to be the bread of life. In order to fully understand what Jesus means by the bread of life, we need to take note that at the end of verse 32, Jesus refers to himself as the true bread from heaven. We must consider Jesus' statement about being the bread of life according to the contrast that he is drawing between himself as the true form and another form that isn't. So then, what is Jesus comparing himself to? In verse 26, Jesus states that the crowds were only following him because they had just experienced the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 and wanted more of his miracle bread. As Jesus explains to the people that they should believe in him, 
The crowd responds with a suggestion that Jesus should perform a sign that is worthy of their faith. They say to Jesus, Moses provided a real sign by giving manna to our forefathers in the wilderness following the exodus from Egypt. In other words, they were saying, Jesus, food from heaven is a real sign that is worthy of our faith. But Jesus responds in verse 32 by saying this, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. It is right for us to understand Jesus' claim to be the bread of life in contrast with the manna that was provided in the Exodus. And the bread, the manna, that came down from heaven in the wilderness did two things. First, the manna displayed the power and glory of God as he sovereignly provided for his people. The existence of the manna in the wilderness proved the existence of God's faithfulness and his goodness. Second, the manna provided a simple provision for the people of God. Namely, basic nourishment and sustenance. As is the case with all common bread. Bread is food. It's designed to simply nourish and sustain the physical body. And Jesus points out in verse 48 that the manna from heaven accomplished this simple purpose. Yet the people still died because of sin and the subsequent curse of death. In contrast to manna, Jesus says that the bread of life actually provides eternal life. And this is clearly stated in verses 50 and 51. As Jesus said, this is the bread that comes down from heaven. So that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The point that is to be understood by the contrast between Jesus, the bread of life, and the manna is this. Jesus, the true bread from heaven, provides eternal life. Something that manna could never do. However, we should not only consider this contrast, but we should also take note of a great similarity between Jesus and the manna in wilderness. Or in other words, we should see the manna as a shadow and Jesus as the fulfillment. Just as manna was an act of God's care for his people, So the advent of Jesus is God's greatest act of provision. At the end of verse 51, Jesus alludes to the fact that it is through his life, death, burial, and resurrection that he provides for us by giving his own life. Jesus said, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is a euphemism for his crucifixion. At which point his body of flesh was ripped and torn like a loaf of bread under the wrath of God for our sin. Furthermore, consider Exodus 16 verses 1 through 4. It says this. They set out from Elam, 
and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain down bread from heaven. In the wilderness of sin, God provided a shadow that pointed to Christ in the form of bread. Here in John chapter 6, in another wilderness, in fact, in Matthew 14, the description of this account says that the place where all of this took place was desolate. So here in another wilderness, Jesus provides for the sin of the people as the bread of life. Conceived of God the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, as the second person of the Holy Trinity, Jesus took on human flesh and became the God-man. He lived a sinless life for you and me in our place, procuring real righteousness for us through his obedience to God the Father. Jesus then suffered and died on the cross in our place. As our substitute, he suffered under the wrath of God and absorbed the penalty you and I deserve for our sin and our rebellion. He was buried, and on the third day he rose again in bodily form, defeating sin and death for us, so that we too one day will rise from the dead like him unto eternal life with God the Father in heaven. Jesus was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses, and then ascended into heaven, and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father, reigning and ruling. This is the good news of the gospel. And when we embrace Jesus by grace through faith and repent of our sin and trust in him, we sinners who deserve God's wrath get God's grace. Jesus provides righteousness that leads to justification and acceptance with God. And he provides this to all who would come to him in faith and believe that he is the Christ. So then, from Jesus' own testimony, in which he says, I am, we must conclude that he means to say, I am God, and likewise, by his reference to being the bread of life, we can determine that Jesus means his work on the cross, the breaking of his body, is our means of righteousness and justification and eternal life. And so this answers the first question. What does Jesus mean when he says, I am the bread of life? Now, let's consider the second question. How are we to respond to this self-revelation of Jesus being the bread of life? In verse 27, Jesus says, do not labor for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. With these 
words, Jesus sets an order of priority. He isn't literally saying that you and I should not be concerned about feeding our families or even eating ourselves. He is setting an order of priority. While physical food is important for our existence, while we need it for sustenance, if we do not eat, we will die. In light of this, Jesus is saying the spiritual food from heaven is far more important than physical food. If we do not eat from the bread of life, we will die. And before you and I eat another morsel of food, Jesus is saying that we must come face to face with his claim of being the bread of life. And so following this worship service, you will go home and eat some delicious food and maybe you'll go out to a restaurant. Whatever the case may be, Jesus is saying that before you personally strive to seek your next meal, you must first seek the food that endures to eternal life. So then, the first thing we are to do in light of Jesus' self-revelation is to prioritize in our minds and hearts the significance and value of the bread that came down from heaven. In verse 53, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus says that in light of his self-revelation as the bread of life, you and I are to feed on him. And so what does Jesus mean by eating his flesh and drinking his blood? In the narrative, we see the people asking the question, how are we to eat this man's flesh? And so the natural question is, is Jesus referring to cannibalism? That was a mistake made in history that people thought that. But the short answer is no, he's not. The key to understanding what Jesus says here in verse 53 is the parallel verse in 35. In verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So in this immediate context, Jesus is equating eating and drinking with faith and belief. According to Jesus, to eat his flesh and drink his blood is to come to him in faith and believe that he is the true source of righteousness, justification, and acceptance with God. To feed on Christ is to be united to Christ by grace through faith. For those of us who identify as Christians, we often think of faith as only relating to our union with Christ. That is to say, it's common for us to think that feeding on Christ is a one-time event. A one-time event in which we move from unbelief to belief. We associate faith or our union with Christ just at the point of conversion. That moment we went from blindness to sight, death to life. But feeding on Christ is not a one-time event. Just like eating breakfast is not a one-time event, but rather a daily exercise, 
So feeding on Christ, believing in him, is to be a daily exercise. Furthermore, faith is not only the means by which we experience union with Christ, but faith is also the means by which we experience communion with Christ. Therefore, we are to come to the Lord's table in faith and feast on the body of Jesus, experiencing love and peace and joy as we spiritually commune with Christ. So then, this is how we are to respond to Jesus' self-revelation. We are to believe in him. We are to feast on him. We are to receive him by grace through faith. Friends and neighbors, if you are a skeptic of Jesus, then you need to wrestle with a couple of points. First, as I explained last week, the majority of modern scholarship understands that Jesus existed. Anyone postulating the non-historicity of Jesus is part of a small minority. And this is because of the overwhelming evidence that supports the historical Jesus. So then, as a skeptic, you have to come face to face with Jesus' words. Not only does he claim to be God, but he declares that he is the bread of life that came down from heaven, in whom eternal life is experienced. And so this morning, you may sense that you are alienated from God. Perhaps you are feeling guilty and shameful because of your sin. Conceivably, you are miserable from the consequences of your actions, choices, and transgressions. This morning, if you are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, then repent of your sin and come to Jesus in faith. Receive his righteousness, which leads to justification and acceptance with God. Dear Saints, Brothers and sisters, as we approach Thanksgiving and Christmas, you may feel estranged from your biological family. Perhaps you are prone to anxiety and stress around the holidays. If that is you, then come to the Lord's table today and commune with your Savior. In faith, receive His peace his joy, and his love. If Thanksgiving and Christmas are hard seasons for you, rest in these promises that Jesus makes in John chapter 6 to those who come to his festal table. He says this, Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Dear saints, because Jesus is the bread of life, 
that came down from heaven. Let us this Advent season keep the feast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.